welcome to another message presented by the ministry of Christian Faith Fellowship. We are fulfilling the call of God on this ministry to preach the Word of God without compromise, raising up disciples who through faith in God will have a powerful impact on our world. May you be blessed through the message that we have to share with you today. May God's very best be yours. When I was here in April, uh, I said to you that Renee and I have been very excited and delighted and encouraged and lifted uh, by the attitude of the church in America this last year, and now it's been a year and, what, three months. Uh, but since June a year ago, uh, I've seen a change in the church in America for the better. Now over 55 years of ministry, I've seen a change in the church in America for the worse uh, over and over and year after year after year after year after year. In fact, I hated to get in a, a church fellowship or a church dinner or something where some, some uh, Christian man or woman would say to me, Brother Terry, how do you find the church in America? I hated to hear that because I, and I always just tried to change the subject because my answer wasn't very good. My answer was, well, I find the church in America kind of like that. You know, it's just not, it's just anemic. It's just not strong. It's just not healthy. It's just not what it once was. It's, it, uh, it needs to pick up the slack. It needs to get his act together. But you know, uh, Brother Hagen used to say, and I told you this in April, uh, and some of you, y'all and, and Paula and, 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 and Tina, and, you know, and you, you said you listen to Brother Hagen this morning, Renee and I listen every day. Uh, some of us still still adhere to Brother Hagen and listen to Brother Hagen. I've got a lot of spiritual fathers. Most of them are going to heaven now. I'm almost an orphan. Uh, Brother Wayne is 101 years old as of next week, so he's uh, getting a little older now. And uh, so, and so, I've only got one spiritual father left. So I've got one that's 101 and one that's 86. And so, uh, you know, my spiritual fathers are kind of getting on up there. And um, although, if they'd all believe God and, and, and could live like they're supposed to, uh, most of them would still be here because God promised them 120 years. In fact, I got so mad here from here a while back. Some of my fathers were dying off, and I got so mad that I just went way back and just started listing all these fathers in the faith, and, and I listed their birth dates, and then projected their birth dates out 120 years, and most of them should still be here. We should still be gaining from them. We should still be re receiving from them. Uh, but anyway, um, Brother Hagen would say, "When the when oh, I start to say, I've got lots of spiritual fathers, but but." And we talk about them all. We love them all. We, we listen to them all. We want to act like them all. But we talk about Brother Osteen, John Osteen, Joel's daddy. And we talk about Brother Hagen every day. They're not a day goes by that we don't talk about those two. And, and of course, Wayne Myers. We quote Wayne on a regular basis. I don't know where he stops and I start. And I've always said, I know all the great faith ministries. I've been in their homes and got their personal phone numbers. Love them all. Appreciate them all. But the one I want to be like when I grow up is Wayne Myers. He's, he's the one I want to emulate and imitate and act like. And uh, not because he's any better than anybody else, but he's just such a tremendous uh, influence and such a tremendous example and such a tremendous giver. Not that those others aren't marvelous big-time givers, but they, they also have big platforms. Wayne's just a faith missionary in Mexico. You know, he doesn't have TV programs and a gazillion partners. He's a faith missionary in Mexico. I mean, God has to show up every month. And so for to watch him give the way he has given, the way I've watched him give for 55 years, 
one year Jackie and I were staying at his house and, and with our four kids and, and uh, he happened to be in Dallas preaching at Christ for the Nations and we was in Mexico City staying at his house and I called him and talked to him and said, how's your meeting going up there at CFNI in Dallas? And he said, well, it's going really good. He said, I, I was raising him an offering last night and I heard myself commit $100,000. And I said, I said, you did what? He said, yeah, I committed $100,000. I've got a year to pay it off, so I've got to get busy. And uh, I hung the phone told Jackie. I said, Wayne just committed $100,000 to give to Christ for the Nations this year. And uh, so I said, you know, I, I, we're going to preach here in Mexico City tomorrow. And I said, I'm going to raise that pastor an offering. And I said, I can't match Wayne in dollars yet, but I'm going to match him in pesos. I'm going to give 100,000 pesos, which is about $10,000 back in those days. That, that wasn't any slouch, but it still wasn't 100,000. But So I got there the next morning. I raised that pastor an offering for the church, and I gave 100,000 pesos to that. But, uh, but, but, but you know, we, Paul said, you follow me as I follow Christ. And we can follow these fathers of the faith. We can, we can listen to them and let them speak into our lives even after they're gone. And, uh, and, and, and they're, they're still affecting me. Something Brother John Osteen said to me when I was an 18-year-old kid, it wasn't that long. He just gave me a phrase, a nugget. And he said, Terry, God's a good checker player. And I tell you, I have used that for 55 years. That has affected my life. And John's been gone since 1999, and yet he's still talking to me. Still affecting my life. So anyway, uh, but Brother Hagin said this. He said when he told us this so many times, and y'all have all heard it uh, if you listen to him at all. He said when the he, he said boys when the if you want the Holy Ghost to show up, if you want the anointing to show up, he said it's always when the unbelieving believers leave. That's right. That's right. Paul, how many times do you hear him say that? When the unbelieving believers leave, meaning in the church, meaning in a given Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, whatever, revival meeting, whatever, he, he said, there's, there's all these believers are there, but some of them are believing and some of them are unbelieving. And he said, he said, the unbelieving believers get tired after a while and leave. And he said, when the unbelieving believers leave and the believing believers stay, the Holy Ghost shows up and you have miracles. Amen. Amen. And I've watched that to be true over all these many, 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 many. Now, nobody wants to go long just for, just for long sake. Nobody wants to see a guy stand up here and flop his jaws if he hasn't anything to say. But if the Holy Ghost is talking, we want to sit there and get what God's got for us. And uh, uh, there's what I call surface noise. And I've, talk, I've, seen, I've done that for decades. I said, no, there's surface noise in the church. There's a, there's a time in every church I go to. Uh, or anybody else, any other preacher goes to, the pastor has it himself, uh, there's a time when the people are done. Doesn't matter if you're done or not, they're done. Maybe it's the normal time they're used to getting out, they're used to getting out at this time, and you're going a little long, and, and, and all of a sudden they turn off, they quit. And there's a surface noise. You hear Bible covers zip, you hear purses zip, you hear them gathering up kids and gathering up stuff, and, the, and there's, there's a surface noise. And so when that happens, you might as well quit. Or either just outlast them and let them leave and leave the believing believers. And so, uh, but this last year, starting in June, last year, a year ago, in June, all of a sudden we went into a church and, and I was preaching and, and, I, and it was a morning meeting and they had cooked lunch for us and it was at 12 and I knew I needed to stop at 12 because they're out there with this marvelous lunch cooked and all these preachers I'm preaching to are, are ready to go to lunch. 
And so I'm, and, and I do real well. I preach a long time, but I, but if I have a time limit, I do real well on watching the clock. And I, and I can quit. I mean, on the on the dot. Uh, uh, don't want to, but I do. And uh, all of a sudden, I was watching the clock, you know, and it got about five, ten minutes till twelve, and so I, I wound it down and and stopped. And they just sat there and they said, "No, don't stop. Keep going." And I thought, man, they got lunch out there, you know. And sometimes you get those ladies mad at you if they've cooked. <laughs> They've cooked and you're not coming to eat. And so I went on another 10 minutes or so and tried to stop. They said, no, go on, keep going. And so I went on another 15 minutes and tried to stop. They said, no, keep going. And so I went till 1230 and finally I just got embarrassed, Debbie, and quit. I just thought, I, just thought, I better quit or I'm going to get somebody, me or somebody in trouble. And, uh, and from that point, Daryl, it happened in every church. That's right. And I went to one service, Renee and I went to one church, and, uh, and I tried to quit so many times, and people was doing like this, come on, come on, come on, don't quit. And the guy back there behind the camera, I couldn't see his head, he was behind the camera, but he'd stick his arm out like this and do this, you know. And, uh, and I just kept, I said, you, you're kidding, you want me to keep going? And, I said, and, so, and it's been that way this whole year and, and three months now. Just the surface noise hasn't been there. Now today today may be the first day, but so far, so far since June a year ago, there hadn't been any surface noise and I've been so excited and encouraged over the state of the church in America because it seems like the church has really decided, hey, we need to we need to get this thing we, we, we need to get serious about church. Amen. Amen. Are 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 y'all here? The uh, Last year when I walked in Brother Wayne's house on his 100th birthday, Renee and I walked in there in Mexico City, and uh, the people downstairs said, oh, Brother Wayne's been waiting for you to get here. He's upstairs uh, taking a nap, but he wants you immediately, when you get here, he wants you in his bedroom. So we said, we ran on upstairs to his bedroom. He's laying there awake. He was taking a nap, but he's awake. And I said, uh, W.W., we're here. His name's William Wayne. A lot of times I call him W.W. And, uh, and he said, come here, son, sit down. You didn't even say, hello, how are you, I love you, good to see you, hadn't seen you in a while. He said, come here and sit down, son. So I went over there and sat down, and Renee followed me over, and she sat down. And he said, Terry, we need to raise $75,000 and build a church in Turkey. And I said, yes, sir, that's, that's what you want to do, that's what we'll do. You say, you say jump, and I'll say how high. And, uh, and so that was my greeting. We need to raise $75,000 and build a church in Turkey. Well, because it was his birthday week, we never got back to the subject. We had three parties for him that week and never, never got back to the subject. And so we left uh, the, the first week of September. We left uh, and uh, we came right back in, in October to do a marriage seminar. And I did a marriage seminar in central Mexico for a number of churches. And uh, so we ran back to Mexico City to, to, to fly back home. And uh, we stopped by to see Wayne and tell him we were we were. In the, in the in the area, and we wanted to say hi to him. And I said, I said, WW, talk to me about this. I said, we never talked about this when we was here last month uh, about about this turkey thing. I said, you said you need to build a church in Turkey and seventy five thousand dollars. And I said, talk to me about this. He said, oh no, I already did that. He said, I, I, I sent the money. He said, I've already sent the money. He said, most, he said most of it was your money that you send me because, like I said, we send him money every Friday. And uh, he said, I hadn't been able to spend money the last year, because the last three years because of COVID. And he said, they won't let me give to these churches in Mexico, and they won't let me get out and give, and they won't let things happen. So he said, I just keep throwing it in the safe. And he said, so most of it's your money. And he said, I knew you wouldn't care. So I said, oh, no, you do, do whatever you want to. And, and I said, so we're done? We're, we, we've done that? We're good? And he, saw, he, said, he said, well, with that. But he said, but before I die, I want to build seven churches in Turkey 
in the seven cities that Jesus wrote a letter to in the book of Revelation. And he said, and to do it, we need to raise $75,000 per church because in Turkey, the law is that you can have a house church. You can't have a church church, but you can have a house church. But you have to, you have to invest at least $75,000. Sounds like a typical government stupidity to me. And, and of course, Erdogan is, is a bad, bad guy. He wants death to Israel and death to the United States. And anyway, so he said, uh, he said, so we need to build six more. I said, yes, sir, if that's what you want to do, we'll get busy and build those six churches. And, uh, and I said, I don't know if I want to build all six of them or not, because you said before you die, and I'm going to keep you here for a while. So I may not, I may drag my feet on that last one, you know. And, uh, but that same month of October last year, Turkey had horrible earthquakes. I mean, horrible. In fact, the old city of uh, Antakya, uh, the old city of Antioch in the Bible, they call Antakya now, totally destroyed, totally destroyed. And so, so Brandy knows she's been funneling money to Turkey. And, and, and you know, I'll, say, I'll call her and say, send another 10000 to Turkey. Send another. And so I told Wayne just the other day, uh, I said, you know, we, we've, we've let down on our building the churches in Turkey because of the earthquakes. I said, we'll still do that. I'm still, I'm still committed to do it for you. Uh, I said, but, you know, we've had to dig out and people and, 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 and they've got to restore and they've got to have houses. And, got to, and I said, so we've kind of put that on hold. And uh, so anyway, I know I know when we get there next week, I'll have new orders, and uh, we'll uh, we'll get those orders accomplished. I, I bet you, what do y'all bet? Amen. 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 Praise Amen. the Lord. But anyway, the Apostle Paul <clears throat> in Second Corinthians chapter four and verse eighteen. You don't have to turn there. I'll quote it for you. But in Second Corinthians four eighteen, the Apostle Paul made it very, 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 very clear, very plain to us that there are two worlds. There's two worlds. And uh, the church and the, and the world doesn't think there's two worlds. We think about just one world, the world we live in. But Paul made it very plain there's two worlds. And he said in verse 18 of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he said, we do not look at the things we can see. Sounds like double talk. We do not look at the things we can see. But we look at the things we cannot see. For the things that we can see are perishable, are temporary, are temporal. They won't last. And the things that we cannot see are eternal. Now, I have preached that message for 55 years. And uh, Renee's pulling stickers out for me. Uh, for years ago, back when the churches really heard from God and pastors really knew what they were doing, that doesn't happen much anymore. Uh, but they'd have lots of, lots of missions conferences, and I'd go preach missions conferences and raise lots of money for missions. And so every time I'd go to one of them, I'd go to a local print shop in that town, and I'd, I'd, have, I'd have stickers printed up that just had one word on them, perishable. Perishable. And, uh, and, and, you know, they're, they're, they're stickers. You know, you peel them off and, and, and stick them on something. And so I'd take those to every church I'd preach missions on. I'd pr- take all these hundreds and hundreds, sometimes thousands of stickers to churches, depending on what size it was. And I'd say, y'all take as many of these as you want. Just take them home. Take a hundred of them. Take a thousand of them. Take 50. Take five. Take ten. Take, just take a perishable sticker and put it on everything you can see. Because everything you can see, taste, hear touch, right? right. Smell. Right. It's not real. Right. And I said, so put one on your bass boat. 
Put one on your guns, put one on your jewelry, put one on your antiques, put one on the furniture, put one on the piano, put one on your car, put one on your head. You know, because, because things you can see. We've been trained all our lives by our own experience. We've been trained by our parents. We've been trained by our friends. We've been trained by school. That the five physical senses are real. That if we can see it, it's real. Taste it, it's real. Touch it, it's real. Smell it, it's real. You know, if I, this chair is real, if I can touch it. If I can touch it, it must be real. If I can see it, it must be real. But Paul said that's not true. Paul said we don't look at those things, Kathy Joe, that we can see. Because if we can see them, they're perishable. And he said, so we look at the real things that are eternal. We look at that other world. And I've always said, you you need to be on first name basis with the teller at the bank of heaven more than you are at the teller at your bank. Now, I know people do electronic banking nowadays. In the old days, you walked in, the teller said, Hello, Dr. Myers, how are you? And, you know, they, they, they knew you by sight. They knew my granddad by sight, right? And you, you'd walk up and have the same teller, and, and you were personable with them. Well, you ought to be that personable and more so with the teller in the Bank of Heaven because you ought to be making regular deposits and Amen. regular withdrawals. You need to show up at the Bank of Heaven and say, Hey, I need to make a withdrawal today. Yes. You know, or, Hey, I need to make a deposit today. Now, see, the law of God says that if you... Deposit, you can withdraw. If you sow, you can reap. If you plant, you can harvest. If you give, you can receive. That, that's just a law of God. And it's such a spiritual law that it's a natural law. Spiritual laws become natural laws because they work. And because they work in the spirit, we can make them work in the natural. And so you can actually take, I, I talked to you about this before on Living to Give, and I'm, I don't want to get on that today because that's not where I'm going, but it's just so part of my DNA. You, you, you can take, a, you, you can take a, a, a farmer can take a, paper, a piece of paper down to the bank and say, I've got this much land, and I need to borrow this much money. Because if I borrow this much money, I can buy this much seed. And if I put this much seed in this much land, I'll get this much harvest, and then I can pay you back plus interest. And the banker said, well, that's true. You got this much land, you put this much seed, you get this much harvest, you can pay me back, you know, or you can buy a tractor, you know, you, whatever. It's just a law. And the bankers will loan money on that law of God. That's right. Amen? Amen. And so anyway, uh, I just tell people, take these home with you. If we have some here, I'll just let them do the same thing. Yeah. Uh, and just put them on everything. And put one on your head because I don't know if y'all have looked in the mirror lately. <laughs> but things don't look like they used to. Right. Things are going south. <laughs> I was with a bunch of teenagers over here a while back. You know, I do a lot of ministry of teenagers and different stuff. And take teenagers to Jamaica and to teach them when sold over 25 years. And I was with a bunch of teenagers. And, and, and several silly little old girls were kind of feeling really good about themselves. And... Uh, a couple of elderly ladies walked by. And they were a little stooped. Had a few wrinkles. Had that, it wasn't just gray hair, it had that blue hair. I don't mean the, I don't mean the Kool-Aid blue they have today. I mean, it, just, it was just that, you know, a little, little old lady blue. You, y'all know what I'm talking about? It's not dyed, it's just there. And, uh, and so they kind of snickered and said something about them. And I said, girls... I said, uh, see those ladies you're laughing at? I said, uh, they used to be 16. 
they used to be cuter than you. I said, and they were classy. You're not classy. You've got bad manners. They had good manners. And I said, they, uh, you know, they, they they dated. They had romance. They had they got married. They had kids. You know, they made America work. And I said, you dismiss them because of the age. But I said, you know, those are quality ladies. And, and the sad news that you don't think about is that you're going to look like them. And then your grandkids and great-grandkids are going to say, <laughs> you bet. See, the Bible says, oh, it says, it says white hair should speak. And wisdom of years should utter knowledge. That's why I like Wayne Myers at 101 years old. I'm going I'm to go listen to Brother Wayne more than I'm going to listen to some kid that just graduated from Bible school. Right? That kid may have his Greek concordance and Hebrew concordance, and he may, he may just think he's the best preacher in the whole world, but he has no experience. And I'm going to go talk to the guy that's cast out devils and heal the sick and raise the dead and open blind eyes and live by faith when they're trying to kill him. Amen. That's right. That's right. You know, Daryl and I both feel the same way about spiritual fathers, Renee and Kathy Joe. And, uh, and the guys I run around with all feel that way about spiritual fathers. In, in fact, if, if I don't run with, I don't run with people that don't like spiritual fathers and mothers. Because there's an honor there that we're supposed, I don't have time to get on all that. But anyway, I'm just saying that, that, that everything's going to change. And, and we are so convinced that this world is the real world that we forget that world is the real world. And it's operating all the time, constantly, continuously, 24 hours a day. And I was with the Goodwins one time. Mom and Dad Goodwin. Did you ever hear Brother Hagen talk about Mom and Dad Goodwin? Well, they were really good friends of mine. Uh, J.R. and Carmen Goodwin. They're the ones that got John Osteen filled with the Holy Ghost. They're the ones that were that uh, taught Howard Carter the gifts of the Spirit. And Howard Carter wrote the book on the gifts of the Spirit that we all go read to when we want to learn something about the gifts of the Spirit. We learned from Howard Carter. Well, they taught him. Amen. And uh, they were Brother Hagen's very, very best friends. In fact, at Dad Goodwin's funeral, Brother Hagen fell over on me. I, I said, Dad, that was a good message because he preached the funeral. I said, you did a good job. That was a good message. And, and Brother Hagen just fell over on me, Paul. And you know, he's a big guy. He fell over on me like this and blubbering like a baby. I mean, sobbing and bawling and squalling like a baby. And he said, Terry, I've lost my best friend. And I'm standing there, you know, holding him like this. And... Uh, and he said, I've lost my best friend. And I said, Dad, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. He said, I've lost my best friend. And I said, Dad, I'm so sorry. He said, now, then he said this to me. He said, now I have no one on the planet I can talk to. And I thought, well, what am I, chopped liver? <laughs> he said, no one else understands me. See, they just lived up here in this plane up here. Then when they got together and visited, you know, us mere mortals, just, you know, I guess we didn't get it. But uh, that, that's the kind of quality these people were. Anyway, I was in their house one day. I was going to tell a story. I was in their house one day, and I'd been with them all day at their house, just messing around, visiting, doing stuff. And people would come in and gone and come and gone and visited and come in for coffee and come. And, and they just prophesied, Tina, all day long. I mean, everybody that moved, they prophesied. And, and I, after a while, I said, Dad. He said, what? I said, how long will this go on? He said, what are you talking about? 
I said, well, this prophesying, you've been prophesying all day long. You and mom have been prophesying to everybody that walks in. How, how long can that go on? He said, well, Terry, he looked at me like I was from Mars or something. He said, well, Terry, it goes on 24-7. He said, you have to understand heaven is a broadcasting station. And it's broadcasting 24-7. 24-7. He said, we're all radio receivers. But we're not always turned on. He said, we're turned on very, very little. He said, when we turn on and tune in, we hear it. And then we turn it off and go about our business and go do something else. But he said, if you'll just keep tuned in, it, it, it goes on forever. He said, the Holy Ghost never quits talking. Isn't that amazing? Yes. See, that's worth you coming to church for today. Yes. Tune in, y'all. Tune in. Tune in. But anyway, we think this world is real. And so we protect this world, and, and rightly so. But, you know, you can go down here to Dallas and, and go to one of the nicest, you know, haberdasheries or enclosed emporium or store and buy spend thousands of dollars mad on a suit or a dress or a pair of shoes and I mean you walk by one little post somewhere and snag that thing and it's ruined I mean it's gone it's over because it's what perishable perishable I get tickled to people that go buy a brand new car and then they're nervous as a cat on a hot tin roof that somebody's going to scratch it and so when they go to Walmart or Sam's or Costco, they park way, way out in the parking lot. And they, and they, and they, they park in four parking places. Yeah. What did you say? At first. Yeah, at first. <laughs> and, and they're just so upset and lay in bed at night. And I tell people, I say, look, when you go buy a new car, I say, just, just kick a dent in it and get it over with. Just get it over with because it's going to happen. <laughs> because it's perishable. Yes. It's just not going to last. So don't get so uptight and so upset about it. Amen. Amen. But see, Paul said those things in that world are eternal. And we forget that world is just right there. Amen. You know, the church, I love the church, but I know the church. I've been Christians since I was six years old. I've been around a long time. And the church is so carnal that the church has been desensitized to miracles because of Hollywood. Nothing wrong with Hollywood. It does a great job. It's the best at what it does. But but the church watches so much Hollywood that they get desensitized to miracles. Because what the what Hollywood does and because they have so many special effects they, they do the sensational and they do the spectacular. Renee and I was watching some movie the other night and these guys going along in a car and somebody shot a gun. Shot a pistol. Shot a pistol at a car. Vinny, the whole thing blew up. Went up in the air. Spun around three or four times. Landed over in the other lane. Four or five cars hit it. They went up in the air. Spun around. Blew up, blew up, blew up, blew up. You know, I'm sitting there looking at that thing. Well, that couldn't happen. <laughs> but it's sensational. It's spectacular. And that's what people want. You know, when you shoot somebody in Hollywood, blood and brains go everywhere. And that's what people want. 
Now, a number of years ago, I take my grandsons, these two, my kids and my grandkids, and now they're all big. In fact, I got a grandson in the Air Force in Saudi Arabia now, another grandson in, in the Air Force. And, and uh, uh, I used to take them hunting, and Dean and I used to take your boys and, and my boys and go hunting, and, and uh, uh, took John hunting lots of times. And, and so, uh, you know, it was a... Anyway, we, we were on a hunting trip, and, and I stopped early in the morning on the way hunting, and, and I went in a Cracker Barrel and fed the boys breakfast. We came out of Cracker Barrel to, to head on down to the, to the deer lease, and, uh, and I passed a rack, Mike, that, that had a bunch of DVDs on it of old movies that I was raised on. And I looked at that, and I said, wow, there's Lone Ranger. There's... there's, there's there's Ren 1010, there's Lassie, there's Sky King, man. There's, I mean, look at this stuff. And I said, guys, y'all are going to love this. Man, I got five or six of them, you know. And we got out in the, in the, in the what was I driving, Suburban or something, van. And I, I opened one of those things up and stuck it in the CD player. And I was driving down the road. I was just happy as a hog in a turnip patch. And in about 15 minutes, they said, Papa. I said, what, guys? Do we have to watch this? <laughs> Pierced my heart. I said, you don't like that? They said, it's boring. And it dawned on me, there's no special effects. When Lone Ranger shot somebody, every time Lone Ranger shot somebody, he shot the gun out of the hand. No blood. Never any blood. You know, gun smoke. I watched two or three gun smokes yesterday. I was so glad to be home. And 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 anytime Matt Dillon shot somebody, Marshall Dillon, anytime, every time, he killed him. Every time. Anytime he drew on somebody, never get injured, they're dead. But there's not a speck of blood anywhere. Nowhere. And yet these boys are used to blood and brains splattering everywhere. They're used to things blowing up. The use of the sensational, the miraculous, I mean, the, the, the spectacular, and this had none of that. So they were bored. And I got to thinking about that, and I thought, that's what's happened in the church. God has a Bible full of the miraculous. It's not sensational, it's not spectacular, but it's miraculous. But we've gotten so desensitized. We, 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 we're in a situation today where the church is trying to outworld the world. Right. And that's a lost cause. You'll never outworld the world. They're better at it than you are. Right? right? Yep. And so we, we read these marvelous, wonderful, miraculous, impossible testimonies from the Bible. And we just kind of read through it and say, oh, well. Oh, well. We don't stop and think, how'd that happen? How'd that happen? We all know those Bible stories. We could tell. We could sit here all day today, all day, and just one person after another just tell them Bible, old Bible, Old Testament stories and, and, and miracles and stuff. And, and we just blow past them like they, they're nothing. But they're miraculous. See, God, God is not a sensational God or a spectacular God. He's a miraculous God. And he doesn't want your life to be sensational or spectacular. He wants your life to be miraculous. But we get bored with the miraculous. We want it to be sensational 
and spectacular. Amen. Think about that. You know, when, when my definition of a miracle has always been, for as long as I've known myself, uh, my definition for a miracle is because God. If you can explain it, it's not a miracle. There is no answer for, for a miracle except God did it. It's because God. I remember in 1969, I was youth leader at my home church out in Midland, Texas. And I remember we put a man on the, on the moon. In fact, people are still arguing about that today. Put a man on the moon. And uh, kids ran to me and said, Brother Terry, Brother Terry, we put a man on the moon. It's a miracle. And I said, oh, no, it's not a miracle. It's sensational. And it's spectacular. And I'm happy about it. I think it's really, really cool. But it's not a miracle. We, we know how we did it. And we can do it again. When you know how you did something, you can do it again. I said, it just took an expenditure of a few billion dollars. And the intestinal fortitude, the guts for some men and women to get in that bird and fly it to the moon. And uh, get out and drive around a Jeep and pick up some rocks and bring them home. Uh, And that's sensational. It's spectacular. I think it's really, really, really cool. But it's not a miracle. You know, just last month, India sent a, sent a ship up to the moon. I hadn't heard yet whether it's successful or not, but they were going to go land on the dark side of the moon, first country ever. Now, only three countries have been to the moon, the United States and China and Russia, and, and now India sent up a, a, a ship uh, to go to the dark side. Now, I hadn't heard yet if it did or didn't, but, but uh, uh, it, it's something that we know how to do. Every country can do it. We know how to do it. Right? My kids used to run into me and say, Daddy, we got our homework done. It's a miracle. I said, no, it's not a miracle. It's sensational and it's spectacular and I'm proud of you, but you know how you did it and now that you showed me you can do it, you can do it again. Right? And see, we need to quit trying to outworld the world and we ought to go back to getting excited about these Bible miracles because we just read through them and say, oh yeah, God did that. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah, they marched around Jericho seven times and shouted, and the walls fell down. What? We don't even think about that. We say, oh, yeah, the walls fell down. Sunday school teacher asked her class, said, said Johnny, who, who, who knocked the walls down in Jericho? He said, I didn't. Well, <laughs> wasn't me. But it, it, it's, it's, it's a miracle. How did that happen? How could that huge wall that they ran chariots around the top of it, this wasn't a little fence, this was a big wall that that people lived in the wall and drove chariots around the top of the wall and it fell flat. That is a miracle. That's not sensational. That's not spectacular. That's a miracle. And we just blow through that and just bypass it. Amen. Amen. You know, every time an angel showed up, Old Testament or New, to make a difference, every time an angel showed up, they just, poof, were there. But in our head, Tina, we think, oh, they've been flapping from heaven for, <laughs> for light years and finally got there. No, no. They just stepped out of that world into this world and just said, hey, I'm here. And then when they got through doing what God told them to do, they just... And they're gone. But they're not flapping those wings, you know. But we try to always figure out how it was done and try to make it something it's not. 
But that, you know, I don't know how many of y'all are, uh, are uh, Star Trek fans. But in Star Trek, remember what they always said? Beam me up, Scotty. And they actually had a, what they called a teleporter. Little cylinder that you got in. And then you dematerialized, all your atoms and everything dematerialized, and then you materialized somewhere else. Right? Well, God thought that up, I mean, millenniums ago. Right? I mean, it says Peter was, was in, in that, that Philip was in the wilderness preaching to the eunuch got him saved, baptized him in the river, and then it says, and Philip was found in Azotus preaching the gospel. Philip was what? Well, how did he get there? Huh? Beam me up. (laughs) I mean, God just, we call it translating. The church came up with the word translation. God translated him to Azotus. You know, Star Star, Star Trek would have said he was teleported. Right? But all of a sudden, he was in this world with the eunuch. And then he just, God stepped him over into this world. Took him to Azotus, stepped out. And there he is in Azotus doing his job. Isn't that amazing? John chapter 6, it says that Jesus came and walked on the water and got in the boat. And it made a big deal, Pastor Daryl. It made a big deal to tell you that the wind was calm. There was no wind. Well, why did it say that? Because that's a wind-blown ship. It, 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 it said that to prove to you that ship can't go anywhere. And it said when Jesus got in the boat, it says immediately the ship was at the other side where we intended to go. What do you mean immediately it was there? What happened to it? God just put it in this world. He translated He teleported it. He beamed it up, Scotty. And just... All of a sudden, it was where it was supposed to be. Jesus was preaching in the church one day, made everybody so mad, they wanted to bite him, wanted to stone him, wanted to kill him. They grabbed a hold of him physically, took him to the edge of the cliff, uh, right on the edge of a cliff, and it said they were about to push him down headlong, and what happened? He just disappeared. He just walked right through them. Well, how did he walk right through them? He just went. And they said, where'd he go? Where'd he go? Where, where, where? And then he got to the back of the crowd and he just stepped back in here and went on about his business. Because that world is more real than this world. But the church is just so far behind on all that. We, we don't get excited about the miraculous because it's not sensational. That's really true. It's not spectacular. Where, 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 where did that little boy... Where Jesus fed 5,000 men besides the women and children, some 15, 20,000 people, out of a little boy's sack lunch, really? Yeah. Amen. Yes. Where, and, and then the Bible says they ate as much as they would. The Spanish Bible says they ate until they were stuffed. And then there were 12 baskets left over. That didn't come out of that little boy's sack lunch. Where'd that food come from? Where'd that fish and bread come from? It came from that other world. Jesus just reached in that sack and just kept pulling it out. He'd grab a fish and tear it in half, and the tail would grow a head, and the head would grow a tail, and he'd tear that in half, the head would grow a tail, and the tail would grow a head. I mean, he had a barley field in one hand and a seafood restaurant in the other. Amen. 
Where did it come from? The Bible says that that that. Thank you. You know when 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 Jesus walked up to Peter, and Peter had been fishing all night. Peter's a professional fisherman. His partners were professional fishermen. They were in the fishing business. They caught fish and sold fish. That's how they made their money. And Peter, the professional fisherman, had fished all night. That's when you fish in that part of the world. That's how you fish. You go out at night, you let down the nets, and you fish at night. And he had fished all night long and caught how much? Nothing. And so he's back on the shore. He's cleaning the nets, cleaning the boat. And Jesus walks up and says, Hey, buddy, uh, cast out in the deep and let down your nets. And he said, Sir, I'm a professional fisherman. And you know absolutely nothing about fishing. And I have fished all night long. And there's no fish. But nevertheless, at your word, I'll do it. Won't do me a bit of good. You don't know what you're talking about. I'm tired. I want to go home. But at your word, I'll do it. And he cast out and let down the net. And what happened? It was a net-breaking, boat-sinking load of fish. So he called his partners, and they got their boat out there and got a net-breaking, boat-load-sinking load of fish. Took them back to the shore. What did they do? They took them back to the shore and sold them. They made a lot of money. Now, I was having breakfast with my friend Rick Renner here while back was doing the meeting together and was having breakfast. And we were talking about this. And he said, Terry, you know, you, you know they still use that exact ship in Israel today? He said, he said we still have the plans. He said, it's in the museum. Uh, they've been building that same boat for over 2,000 years. The dimensions are there. They're building the exact same size today. He said, we know exactly how much weight that boat will carry. We know exactly what the dimensions are. And he said, that boat will carry a, a payload of 6,000 pounds before it sinks. Sinking is 6,000. And he said, so they got two. So they took back to the shore 12,000 pounds of fish and made a lot of money. And Peter said, I think I'll go work for you. <laughs> See, that's not sensational. That's not spectacular. That is miraculous. Because the question is, where did those fish come from? They weren't there. Where did they come from? They came from that other world. And we're going to have to get that in our head. That other world is more real than this world. Those things are eternal. These things are perishable. Amen. Where? <laughs> we could go on with this forever, couldn't we? There's just testimony after testimony after testimony after testimony after testimony after testimony after testimony. Oh, I know. I'm thinking about the quail, and I'm thinking about the oil, and I'm thinking about the meal, and I'm thinking about the noise in the enemy's camp, and I'm thinking about... I mean, you know, there's no end to this. You know, you know, the, the, the children of Israel got... The, the, the Jews, they weren't known for their faith. And um, they got so upset and so distraught because they hadn't had any meat. 
And so they were complaining and complaining and complaining and complaining and complaining. And so uh, in Numbers 11, uh, they just said, we had it, man. We're going back to, to, we're going back to Egypt. I think it's so ridiculous, Vinny. They said, we, missed, we even missed the cucumbers we used to get to eat in Egypt. <laughs> Have you ever missed a cucumber? You've got to be kidding me. And God said, all right, you bunch of knotheads. You want, you want meat? I'll give you meat. I'll give you quail, and I won't give you quail for one day. I won't give you quail for two days. I won't give you quail for a week. I'm going to give you quail until it's running out your nostrils. And the Bible says the quail came out of the sea. Hey, I'm a quail hunter. They don't come out of the sea. Vinny, you're a quail hunter. They don't come out of the sea. You know, I go out in the field and I kick around, kick some bushes, and I may get a covey of 10 or 12 or 15 quail, or I take a dog with me and he busts a covey of 10, 15 quail. But the, these quail, the Bible says they came out of the sea and the quail were two cubits deep. A cubit's a foot and a half, so this is how much? Three feet deep. They were three feet deep. And they were a day's journey that way and a day's journey that way. So two days walking three feet deep. That's a lot of cleaning quail. I've cleaned my fair share of quail. That would be... And I just breast them, man. I mean, I just stick my finger down their throat and pop the breast out. I mean, that's a lot of feathers. Right? Yeah. Debbie, what are you laughing at? We taught, we taught John how to breast quail. Yeah. <laughs> a day's journey that way, Mike, three feet. A day's journey that way, three feet. That's a lot of quail. Where did they come from? Yeah. Out of the sea. What? <laughs> they don't come out of the sea. They came from that other world. That's right. That's right. They came from that other world. So yeah, just miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. And we're going to have to start going back and getting excited over those things, realizing that's a miracle God. That's a supernatural God. And you don't think he can heal cancer? You don't think he can heal leukemia? You don't think he can heal a headache? You don't think he can get you another job? You don't think he can, he can save your kids? You don't think he can get your kids off drugs? You don't think, hey... Come on, he got, he got quail out of the sea. That's a pretty good feat. Amen? You're a miracle, yeah. How many people are miracles? Sure, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, we all know the story of Elijah sitting up there by the brook Cherith and God's feeding with ravens and, and, and drinking out of the brook. And then the, the supernatural continued, but the, but the natural dried up. Brother Hagin always told us for decades and decades, he always said, he said, the natural provides a platform for the supernatural. He said, you've always got to get the natural right to get the supernatural to work. And when the natural dries up, the supernatural will dry up. So, it didn't say the birds quit coming with food. It said the brook dried up. And so the Lord said to him, all right, go down to town. I've, I've commanded a widow woman to feed you. And everybody says, shame on that preacher. He's going he's to he's live off a widow woman. Well, this story wasn't about the prophet. 
It wasn't about God taking care of him. God's proven. He's just proven he can take care of him. This is all about her and her boy. And so he goes down there and he sits on the well. And she, and she says out of her own mouth, she said, you know, there's a famine in the land and uh, everybody's dying or leaving. And she said, me and my boy, uh, I've got enough meal and I've got enough oil to make two cakes. One for me and one for him. So I'm going to go out and get two sticks to make a fire. I don't need a big fire. I just need two sticks. And I'm going to make a fire and I'm going to build, build two cakes. And he's going to eat it. I'm going to eat it. And we're going to die. So she goes out to get those two sticks and runs into this prophet sitting on the well. And he says, excuse me, ma'am, would you get me a drink from the well? She said, of course I would. And she got him a drink. And he says, by the way, ma'am, would you make me a cake? And she says, sir, I'm sorry. I can't. I've only got enough oil and meal to make two cakes. I've come out here to get these two sticks of wood. And and my boy and I are going to eat it and die. There is no future. There is no hope. There is no after. And he says the coolest thing, Paula. He says, "Uh, lady, make me a cake first and after. Now there's an after. While ago there wasn't an after. Now there's an after. And after, make your son and yourself a cake. Well, she thought she had two, and now he's telling her she's got enough for three. So for some reason, she did it. She made him a cake first. See, with God, you've always got to give to God first. With living to give, you've always got to give to God first. Every farmer has to, no farmer goes to the field and says, give me a harvest, knowing he's never planted. He's got to put the seed in first, right? And so she made him a cake. And uh, she had enough left to make her son a cake and her a cake, so they all ate it. And then it says the prophet just moved in with her. Scandal in the church. Preacher shacks up with a widow woman and eats all her food. Mean old preacher. But see, it says in the King James, he moved in with her for a time. The margin says for a year. Lived with her for a year. And we like to think, because we like Hollywood, we like to think it was sensational. And it was spectacular. So she grabbed that oil and she grabbed that meal and it began to vibrate and rumble and the house began to shake and oil squirted and meal squirted. And it ah, no. No, it wasn't sensational. It wasn't spectacular. It was just every morning by faith. Everybody say by faith. She had that little bit of oil and that little bit of meal and she made that prophet a cake first for breakfast. And then her son a cake and herself a cake. And at lunchtime, she had a little bit of oil and a little bit of meal. So she made the prophet a cake first. Her son a cake, herself a cake. At dinner time, she made three more. Now that's three, six, nine cakes a day for a year. That's 3,285 cakes. And she thought she had enough for two. Well, where did it come from? Where did that oil come from? Where did that meal come from? We never think about that. We say, oh yeah, God, God gave her. No, that was a miracle. A creative, supernatural, unexplainable, because God only, miracle. Amen? Amen. Now, had God given her all that oil and meal, her neighbors had killed her because they were starving. They'd have killed her for food. But she didn't have food. She just had faith. You know, you, you, well, Vinny's sitting here and he's, you know, fighter pilot. I mean, he knows everything there is to know about aviation laws. Of avi- I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a pilot, but I fly little planes. 
And, and, but the laws of aviation, laws of aerodynamics are, are laws. And I like laws. I, they're, they're safe to me. I like laws. You know, I like A plus B equals C. I, I like that. And, uh, but the greatest scientific minds in the world, the greatest avionic, aerodynamic scientists in the world will tell you and prove it to you scientifically on paper a bumblebee can't fly. It's a proven scientific fact they cannot fly. Their body's too big, their wings are too small, they cannot fly. But how many of you know they do? And if you went to a bumblebee and said, excuse me, Mr. Bumblebee, how is it that you are flying? The scientists say, the laws of aerodynamics, the laws of aviation say, you cannot fly. Your body's too big, your wings are too small, it's aerodynamically impossible. You cannot fly. How do you do it? He'd just smile and say, because God. Because God. And see, we ought to get excited about that. Because it's not sensational. It's not spectacular. It's miraculous. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Most of y'all know my hitchhiker story. I picked up a hitchhiker in Mexico. He pulled a gun on me, stuck it in my ribs, and said, I'm going to kill you. I said, you can't kill me. I'm a man of God. i got authority over you in the name of Jesus. He ended up shooting at me five times at point blank range. The bullets didn't hit me. Where those bullets go? I don't know. I don't care. This November, it will be 49 years. And in those 49 years, I have never, ever asked the Lord, how would you do that? I don't care. Because it's unexplainable. The answer is, because God. And I've had people question me over the years and years and years. Don't you think you should have been a martyr? Shame on you. God wanted you to die. Or where those bullets go? I don't know. Well, didn't they go in you? No. Didn't they go in the ground? No. Did they go in your car, break the windshield? No. Well, where'd they go? I don't know. They went into that world. Or an angel stood in front of me and took them into that world. I don't know. I've never tried to figure it out. I've raised the dead numbers of times. How's that explainable? You know, y'all know that one little baby girl I held up in my arms, she was dead. American medical doctor, friend of mine, still a friend of mine today, telling me, Terry, she's dead. D-E-A-D, put her down. I'm concerned about you. She's dead. And I held her up for 12 hours. Why did it take 12 hours? I don't know. I've raised other people that fast. I didn't, in fact, I don't know if I'd even started if I'd have known it was going to take 12 hours. I just thought, oh, she's dead. I'll raise her from the dead. <laughs> and it took 12 hours. What if I'd have quit at 11 and a half hours? At nine hours, he came and grabbed my arm and jerked me and said, Terry. And I said, what? He said, I'm concerned about you. You've been at this for nine hours. He said, you prayed every prayer you know to pray. And he's right. He said, sometimes it doesn't work. He said, I did everything I could as a doctor. You did everything you could as a missionary. It didn't work. Put her down. Put her on the table. We'll bury her in the morning. He said, at least you got her parents saved hours ago. Put her down. I said, Doc, you leave me alone. And nothing wrong with him. Now, he's not doing anything wrong. He's a word of faith man, good guy. He's, just, he's a doctor. And he said, I've been doing this nine hours. He said, you know, I'm concerned about you. Put her down. I said, no, you leave me alone. I'm not going to bury this baby. I will not bury this baby. She will live and not die and declare the works of the Lord. And so after three more hours, 12 hours, you know, I said to the devil, devil, you might as well give up. I'm not going to quit. And I said, you caught me in the jungle. This is my jungle, not your jungle. I'm in authority here. I'm not in an American hospital where, the, where it's their house, their rules. And they tell me I have to leave. And I respect that. I get that. I'm not mad about it. I get the, I get the point. 
you know, they'll let you stay maybe 30 minutes. It's their house. And tell you, you got to leave, and you have to leave. You don't have a choice. And uh, I get that. I said, but you caught me in the jungle. It's my jungle. I'm in authority here. I said, the parents had authority over her. They gave it to the doctor. She died, so nobody had it. So I took it. So I'm not going to bury this baby. And I guess at that point, he has got so discouraged, he left. Because when I said that, she started crying. And God raised her up. I got pictures of her just this last month. They sent me pictures of her and two of her kids. She's got three kids. And they sent me pictures of her and two of her kids, you know. And uh, it's, it, there's no explanation for that. It's, it's because God. Well, wouldn't her brain be messed up after 12 hours? Well, evidently not. I mean, science says it would. Medical science says it would. She's without oxygen for 12 hours. She's dead for 12 hours. Well, I can't help it. That's like them coming to the, that guy that Jesus healed that was blind. And they said, hey, that guy that healed you is a bad guy. And he said, look, I don't know if he's a Republican or a Democrat. I don't know if he's a good guy or a bad guy. I don't know anything about the guy. I just know I was blind and now I see. You know, the guy at the gate, beautiful. Peter grabbed him by the hand and pulled him up and said, silver and gold have I none, such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he pulled him up and he ran and leaped and praised the Lord and healed. And they came and said, hey, the day of miracles is over. He said, well, I don't know about that. I've never walked before. Yeah, but God did new miracles. Yeah, I don't know about that. All I know is I'm walking for the first time in my life. And the Bible says there in, in chapter 4 and verse 22, he's over 40 years old. And he'd been that way since his mother's womb. Never walked. And now he's walking and leaping and running and praising What's the explanation of that? Because of God. It's a miracle. Not sensational, not spectacular. It's, it's an absolute miracle. You know? Your doctors told my wife, Jackie, she could never have any babies, so we had four because we got in the Word and found out what the Word said and just confessed the Word and prayed the Word and confessed the Word and prayed the Word and prayed the Word and prayed. The word and, prayed. and not only do we have four, that first little rascal was 10 pounds. And she had him in 20 minutes with no stitches, no tearing, no anesthetic, no medicine, no nothing. Well, because of God. Because God, because God, because God. We pray you were blessed by the message we were able to share with you today. For more spiritual resources that can help you in your walk with God, or to find out more about our ministry, just go to our website at cffchurch.com. You will find additional teachings by video, audio, and printed resources that will be a blessing to you. May God's very best be yours.